Easter, I'm going to start a series of readings and talks from John chapters 18 to 21. Uh, You might ask, why at this time of pandemic do we return to a story that many of us know so well? Why not have a series of pandemic-focused talks or at least talks focused on our needs in this pandemic? Well, it's because the events of Easter, the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, are at the heart of our faith and the foundation of the confidence we have that Jesus is the almighty Lord and our loving Saviour, something so good to be sure of at this time. In the Easter story, we know our Saviour is Lord, mightier than his enemies, the one entrusted with authority to forgive and judge, entrusted with the authority to give eternal life. And in these events, we come to know that our God is sovereign over history. For these ugly events serve his good purpose. Oh, we know he knows us, for Jesus knows the preciousness of our life and the horror of our death. And we know his love. We are assured of his love as his spirit convicts us that Christ died for us. The gospel story of the first Easter understood and believed gives us what we need to live confident lives of faith, hope and love at this time. No building is stronger than its foundation. No Christian faith stronger than its grounding in the events of Easter. And so this testing time is a time for strengthening foundations. And the gospel also offers a corrective to our preoccupation with this world. The Son of God did not live to 60 or 70 or 80. He did not see the ultimate good as more of this life. The ultimate good was loving the Father and doing his will. And loving the Father and doing his will, he suffered. But he did not see that suffering as the ultimate evil or avoiding it as the ultimate good. He did not see that suffering as failure or being robbed, but the path to victory, his vindication by the father he loved, trusted and served. We're returning to the Easter story so that what matters for eternity is big in your minds and you would interpret our present passing experience in the light of the gospel, in the light of our Lord's crucifixion and resurrection. And why not use this time as an opportunity to immerse yourself in the story, in the reality of God's saving through Jesus on the cross and what that means for our life in this world. So let's now turn to that gospel story, John 18, 1 to 27, and I'm reading from the NIV. When Jesus had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. 
I am he, Jesus said. And Judas, the traitor, was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it you want, Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They they bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire they'd made to keep warm. Peter also was standing with them, warming himself. Meanwhile, the high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly in the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews came together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me, surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Let us ask God to let his good word do its work in our lives. Please pray with me. Our gracious God, your word is given to encourage our trust in our Lord Jesus and to teach, rebuke, correct and train us so that we are ready, equipped to do all the good work that you call us to. We pray now in your mercy you would help me to speak your word clearly, 
And you would grant your word to do that work in our hearts, that we would come to and grow in trust in Jesus and we would be equipped to live as his people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you willing to hear the word the gospel speaks about you so that you can hear the word the gospel speaks to you? Uh, Let me repeat that and sharpen it a little. Are you willing to hear the word the living God in his gospel speaks about you so that you can hear the word God in his gospel speaks to you? On the night of Jesus' arrest, the night we hear about in our reading, Jesus had spoken a word about Peter that Peter was not willing to hear. Jesus had been talking at the Last Supper about the events that would follow that very night, preparing his followers for what was to come. Jesus had said that they would all be scattered, flee from him. In the face of Peter's bluster, Jesus had said to Peter, John 13, 38, Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter had protested, Matthew 26, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. Peter did not want to believe what Jesus said about him, that the time would come very soon when Peter would deny him. In fact, Peter denied its truthfulness outright. We can understand his reluctance to believe what Jesus said about him. Jesus was saying that Peter would give in to cowardice, cowardice prompted by a determination to save his own life, that he would go back on his word, forsake his commitment, abandon his friends. And that was so out of tune with the way Peter thought of himself. Brave, loyal, committed, perhaps even better than the others. Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will, he said. That's the kind of guy Peter knew himself to be. Others might, he won't. Peter was sure he'll be faithful. And Peter probably thought, considering his devotion to Jesus, that Jesus' words were so undeserved. I mean, he had joined Jesus at the beginning, brought by his brother Andrew to Jesus before his public ministry had begun. Uh, Peter was the one who had first confessed Jesus to be the Christ. He was the one who, when all else were abandoning Jesus because they found his teaching too hard, had said, John 6, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter had stuck with Jesus through opposition and setback. How could his Lord even think, let alone say, that he would be disloyal, disown him? Peter had believed so much that Jesus had said about himself, the Christ, the Holy One of God. Yet here we see that what Peter had trouble believing was what Jesus said about Peter when what Jesus said went against what Peter thought of himself. Oh, Lord, you can say, I'll abandon you, but I'll never disown you. You are wrong, Jesus. But within a few hours, Jesus was proven true. The servant girl keeping the door asked, 
you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? And Peter had replied, I am not. And having gained entry to the courtyard, those standing with him around the fire asked, You aren't one of his disciples too, are you? And he denied it again, saying, I am not. And then finally, verse 26, one of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? And again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. We can understand Peter's denial in the circumstances. We might even be able to sympathise. I mean, he was under real pressure and real danger and he had probably known a growing frustration over the last few weeks and months caused by the Lord with his talk of dying in Jerusalem, persevering with a course of action Peter disapproved of. And perhaps there was a bit of anger because Jesus had denied Peter the opportunity to help, to really get in there, even to die a hero's death. Peter's courage didn't seem to count any longer as he was told to put his sword away. Jesus didn't seem to need him. And you can also sense a growing fear. That third questioner was more certain, expected that Peter would admit the truth of his question. And maybe there was a recognition that to identify with Jesus now was to identify with a failed cause. We can understand, but whatever the reasons, what Jesus had said about Peter was proven true. Peter now had to admit its truth, and it was crushing. In Matthew's Gospel it says, Peter went outside and wept bitterly. He could not hide from himself the failure of his courage, the emptiness of his boasting that he was a person who had abandoned his friend. He could not hide from himself his weakness, his inability to be the person he wanted to be, the person he had believed himself to be. Now some of us know that experience. It's crushing to have revealed under pressure sometimes in an instant, what we do not want to believe about ourselves, to have revealed that we are not the good people we like to think we are. Whether that's revealed in that moment when we see that a relationship we so wanted to keep has failed because of our own selfishness, or revealed when we're forced to acknowledge that where we thought we were loving, we were hurting, or when we're forced to admit the truth of another's criticism of us and can no longer blame others, whether that's for our anger or our sexual immorality or our lies, or for some of us, whether it's revealed in that moment of reality when we hear the verdict of the judge in court on our behaviour or of the examiner on our studies. It's crushing to know the shame and pain, the guilt and grief of not being the good person we like to think we are. The shame and pain and guilt and grief Peter knew. A shame and pain, a guilt and grief that we cannot eradicate because we can't take our words and actions back. And once we know this of ourselves, we know it and can't hide from it. 
Oh, we might try to numb that shame and pain, alcohol, drugs, or we might try to distract ourselves from it, the new relationship or throwing ourselves into our work. But the shame and the guilt remain. Peter did not want to admit the truth of the word Jesus spoke about him, did not want to know the shame and the guilt and grief of its truth, didn't want to acknowledge that Jesus knew him better than himself and so should have been believed. But what Jesus said was true and its truth was now revealed and Peter could not hide from it or deny it. Now there is a word the gospel of Jesus speaks about every one of us that, like Peter, we do not want to hear. It's a word the gospel speaks about you. You see, the gospel of Jesus tells you that you are a sinner. We don't want to hear that word, not because it's quaint, but because of what it says about us. For to be a sinner is to challenge what we want to think about ourselves, that we are good people. A sinner is someone who's missed the mark, failed the standard of God's righteousness. To be a sinner is to know the truth about God and ignore it. It's to willfully believe lies about God, to pretend he's not there because it suits you even while you sense his reality. To be a sinner is to be ungrateful, to take this gift of life of this good creation without thanks, to use what God has given us without acknowledgement. To be a sinner is to have to admit the mess of our own lives has a lot to do with our own selfish and willful decisions where we have known what God says is right and done the opposite, done what he says is wrong, whether that was lying or bullying or taking what was not your own or withholding what belonged to another or disobeying your parents. If we are sinners, we have to stop blaming God or others for the way our lives have turned out. To be a sinner is to have to admit that some of the things we love, like getting our own way or indulging our lusts, are wrong and destructive, that our judgments can be flawed by our selfish reasoning. We don't like being called sinners. We don't even like the very idea of sin, the idea that there's a standard outside ourselves by which our goodness is measured, that our lives can be judged by our creator God who holds us to account. You see, we don't like hearing that we are not the good people that we think we are. Good people who make good decisions, good judgments about right and wrong, truth and falsehood. Good people who have a right to prosperity and happiness. But the gospel says it clearly. Jesus' messenger Paul says, all have sinned. No exceptions. Jesus said he came to save sinners, people in the darkness of their rebellion against God. Like Peter, so often we do not want to hear what Jesus says about us in his word. You may not want to hear that you are a sinner and cannot help yourself, cannot rescue yourself from the shame and guilt, the judgment and eternal death your sin deserves. You may even be like Peter, hanging about with Jesus, admiring Jesus, and still not want to hear it, 
not want to hear it so much that you say in your heart, Jesus, you are just wrong when you say I'm a sinner. But you need to hear it and know it's truth. You need to confess that Jesus knows you better than you know yourself, that his diagnosis of your soul is more accurate than your own. For Jesus also said he would die and rise again, and he did. He speaks the truth. You know, our present circumstances can't be understood without hearing the word the gospel says about us, about all humanity. If you think you're a basically good person who only deserves good from God, it's hard to work out why you're experiencing this disruption to your life, this fearsome threat to your life. Oh, you could put it down to chance, but there's not much hope in that. Or I suppose you could both deny God and at the same time be angry with God for letting it happen. We're that inconsistent. But if you can admit sin and that your sin deserves judgment, you can see this present experience as God giving us a little of what we deserve before the final judgment, calling you to repent of your indifference, pride, love of this world while you still have time. And you would know then to whom to turn for mercy. And that's true for believers as well. You know, often we can admit that we are sinners in general. I mean, we have to do that to believe the gospel. But we still don't want to hear what Jesus is saying in his word about this or that particular behaviour of ours. Whether that is our little faith, or our compromises with idols like money or pleasure or our sexual immorality, we still don't want to hear Jesus' warnings about them. We say in our hearts, Jesus, you are just wrong. (laughs) They're not that serious. But if we would listen to Jesus, listen to what he says about our words and actions and admit that he speaks the truth about them, then we too can see this pestilence as the Lord giving us opportunity to repent, to repent of our worldliness, of his good seed being choked in our lives by the cares of this world, the delight in riches, the desire for other things, and we too would know to whom to turn for mercy. And that's the more important reason to hear the word the gospel speaks about you. The word the gospel speaks about you, that you are a sinner, is not the last word the gospel speaks. There is a word that Jesus speaks to you, just as there was a word that Jesus spoke to Peter. It's a word of peace, a word of forgiveness, the only word that can lift the shame and guilt, the grief and fear that comes when you have to admit the truth about yourself before God. Admit that God gets you right, even when you want to deny it, speaks the truth to you, even when you don't want to hear it. Peter was among the disciples when Jesus appeared to them in the upper room, as it's recorded in John 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace. Be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sides. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, 
peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Despite his failure, the Jesus Peter had disowned included Peter in that peace. And where there was peace, Peter did not need to fear punishment. Where peace was spoken, Peter no longer needed to fear rejection and exclusion from Jesus' company. Peter's shame was overcome by Jesus' acceptance. The the extent of that acceptance of him, the depth of that forgiveness and restoration by Jesus is seen in the conversation Jesus had later with Peter, recorded in John 21. You see, Peter may still have had doubts about his belonging, still had lingering fears because of his guilt. But Jesus took him aside there in John 21, verse 15, and asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt, was grieved because Jesus asked him that third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now that was an uncomfortable conversation for Peter. A very personal conversation as Jesus probes his heart. A conversation in which we see Peter humbled, not by his failure, but by his Lord's grace. The bluster is gone. When asked the third time whether he loved him, Peter abandons himself to Jesus' judgment. Lord, you know all things. Peter, who had denied Jesus, denied that Jesus knew him, is here confessing both his error and his trust in Jesus' mercy. You know all things. You know that I love you. It's no longer Peter's assessment of himself that matters. It's the Lord's assessment and the Lord's only. This is a conversation full of grace. And Peter receives again here the gracious gift of restoration from the Lord Jesus to whom Peter entrusts himself. The word of peace Jesus spoke to Peter was judgment-sparing eternal life-giving, love-including. Jesus was the one, the only one who could speak that word to Peter, for he was the one Peter had wronged. Jesus is the one, the only one, who can speak that word of peace, of forgiveness to us. That's what the gospel story, the story of his death and resurrection tells us. Here in our passage, Jesus is revealed as the one who can speak that word, the only one who can speak that word. In verses 4 to 8, we're reminded that the Jesus who is betrayed, whom they come to arrest, 
is the one we have seen in his mighty works has the authority of God. Who is it you want, Jesus asked in verse 4. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am. And that's all it is. I am, Jesus said. And when Jesus said, I am, they drew back and fell to the ground. There is a momentary recognition in their falling to the ground at his saying, I am, of the reality that Jesus veiled. That he is the one who could say truthfully before Abraham was, I am. The one who could truthfully say that he had come from the Father, the eternal word become flesh. The one who could multiply food in the wilderness and whose voice could raise the dead. A reminder here that he is the one who has the authority of God to judge and give life because he is one with the Father. Being God, he can forgive sin against God. Yet he invites these soldiers to arrest him while commanding them to leave his followers alone. I told you, verse 8, that I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened. So the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have lost, not lost one of those you gave me. That phrase is a reminder that Jesus is entrusted with the saving work of God. He came to do his Father's will, to rescue his people. He had said in John 6, reading from verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Jesus stays true to his purpose to raise up all those who look to him for life. And he stays true to his purpose, even though he knows that to fulfil that purpose, he must die, and not die a hero's death, but a criminal's, shamed on the cross, die as one condemned for sin, die enduring God's wrath against sin. When Peter acts on his own initiative, thinking that he could save Jesus by violence, drawing his sword and cutting off Malchus's ear, Jesus commands Peter to put his sword away and says, verse 11, Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The cup was an Old Testament picture of having to experience God's judgment on sin. In Jeremiah 15 it says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I'll send amongst them. And in Psalm 75, verse 7, it says, It is God who judges. He brings one down, he exalts another. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. This was the cup that Jesus prayed in the garden might pass from him, but the cup he committed himself to draining in love of the Father. 
Jesus will go to the cross. He will endure God's just judgment on sinners. But it is not God's judgment on Jesus' sin. He had no sin. As we heard in verses 19 to 23, his accusers could not prove any wrong done by him in word or deed. Jesus is enduring on the cross God's judgment on our sin, laying down his life for his sheep. Because of who he is, the eternal son entrusted by the father with authority to judge and give life, the son sent by the father to save, to give eternal life to all whom whom the father gives him, all that will turn and trust him. The son who drains the cup of God's wrath so his people need never taste it, so his people could be justly pardoned. Jesus, and Jesus alone, has the authority to speak to us the word of forgiveness and life, a word he speaks to us in the gospel he has given to his apostles to preach as he commissions them and sends them into the world to bring forgiveness or judgment in the preaching of the gospel. The gospel that says all who repent and believe that Jesus is the Christ who has died for our sins and been raised by God to life, that says that all who repent and believe in Jesus are forgiven and given God's spirit. This is the word Jesus speaks to each of us if we'll repent if we'll confess that we have been wrong to ignore, reject and disobey God and believe that Jesus has died for our sins and risen again. This word of peace and forgiveness is a word that cleanses us of the shame for Jesus accepts us, a word that forgives our guilt for Jesus pardons us, a word that brings us to know peace with the God we have wronged for he speaks in his son his peace to us. A word that gives us hope of eternal life, for it is Jesus' purpose to raise us to eternal life. But this better word that Jesus speaks to us is only received by those who can admit the truth of what Jesus has said about us in the gospel. That was a word this word spoken to us, that Peter could not really grasp until he admitted the truth of what the Lord said about him. Peter had to be humbled in himself by confessing the truth of Christ's judgment, humbled to think that he could no longer save himself, no longer contribute to his own salvation and had to rely on Jesus' mercy alone. You see, before it was Jesus and Peter who would bring the kingdom. Peter standing by Jesus' side, wielding his sword to rescue and establish Jesus. But now it is Jesus, and Jesus alone, who saves Peter, who rescues Peter to a better kingdom, one established not by human violence, but by God alone, a kingdom of peace and righteousness and life. Rescued, rescued Peter, by the cross, that path that had made no sense to a Peter confident in his own goodness. 
We need to be humbled by confessing the truth of what Jesus has said about us in the gospel, confessing the truth of his judgment on us, confessing that he alone can save us by that awful cross. So, have you confessed the truth of the word spoken about you so that you can know the wonder of the word Jesus speaks to you in the gospel? Confessing that we're sinners and not the good people we like to think we are may be painful. That's why so many are indignant to hear it, insistent on their own goodness and blaming others, even God, for what goes wrong. But one day, the truth of what God says about us in the gospel, that we're sinners, will be revealed. Jesus' resurrection guarantees that. And maybe the present crisis has already forced you to admit it, that you are not the good person that you thought you were, giving you a glimpse of your own heart, of your selfishness, as you see how much you think your needs, your security, your comfort should come first of your fear, not just of death but of judgment for the wrong you know you have done. Confessing the truth that we're sinners may be painful, but admitting that truth, the truth of what Jesus says about you, is the price to pay, a small price to pay, for knowing the truth of the word spoken to you by the Lord Jesus. The word he, the crucified and risen son of God, alone can speak that wonderful word peace be with you your sins are forgiven that is a word that brings you to know the love of the one who deserves to be loved a love that is forever a word that includes you in those for whom Jesus died to make his own and raise up at the last day a word that gives you eternal life now in the welcome and fellowship of the King Jesus. Are you willing to hear the word God in his gospel speaks about you so that you can hear that wonderful word God in his gospel speaks to you? Don't put off finding peace. Confess your sin to Jesus and ask him to forgive you now and hear him say, Peace, peace be with you. Let us pray. Our gracious God, in your mercy, humble us by letting us know the truth that you say about us, that we have sinned. We are sinners. Those who rightly deserve your judgment. Humble us so that we can hear that truth and turn to hear the word you speak to us in your Son, that there is peace and forgiveness for all who will turn to him, all who will trust that his death is for their sin and that you have raised him from the dead. Grant us that peace in trusting Jesus, we pray. Amen.